0: Take thou authority to preach
1: the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of Field Preachers Podcast. I'm Paul Nixon, and I am here with my friend, Darren. Darren Dizengutita. Did I say that right, Darren? Very nice, Paul. Very nicely done. I understand there's a way you can sing your last name.
0: Well, it kind of helps because uh, it's, a, it's a nice long Spanish name that has a primary accent and a second. So if you, if you kind of sing it, the you know, it's sort of like being Italian, the Zingotita. It just kind of helps. So, but you can call me Darren.
1: <laughs> Darren, tell us about your organization. You're, ba- you're based in the Metroplex, but you work here and there and everywhere. But what's the name of your organization?
0: Do so. My group is called Table Co-working and Social Impact Spaces. So uh, we do consulting with churches kind of all over. Um, we work in the mainline denominations: your Methodists, your Lutherans, your Presbyterians, your Disciples of Christ. And uh, I really love a, a big old church with some stained glass and some, you know, gorgeous rooms. So that's that's the setting that we work in.
1: As I've been watching you over the the years, you, you seem to, wherever you're working, wherever you're helping to reanimate space, it, you seem to be like, you like to get people into those spaces so that it's not just a Sunday morning crowd and then crickets all week.
0: Well, uh, yeah, we need to. I mean, we've got all this, you know, this gorgeous um just luxury of, of space and we we heat them, we cool them, we we brew some coffee every day, we have the Wi-Fi going. I mean we re-roof
1: them We 50 grand. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: We you know, we have such a largesse. To offer our literal neighbors, and they're not coming on Sunday morning, and they're not going to come on Sunday morning. They know we're there. They know we're putting on a show on Sunday morning. They would come if they wanted to. They're not, but they have other needs that um, that we can be of service to, um, you know, throughout the week, Monday through Friday. So, but we don't know what that is until we begin to invite and invite and invite and get to know and question, and um, you know, I mean, that's why I named my consulting table. Co working because the very first thing we're going to do is just get people together around a table. We're going to have a potluck. We're going to have some coffee. And we're just going to begin to get to know one another and find out what is it or how can this place, how can these people, how can we share our resources? What does that look like for you? What would be meaningful for you? And um, I always say, you know, I have a 14 point strategic plan, and item number eight is, and then the magic happens. You know, And I don't know what that looks like, but I know it's going to. I, I can count on it. You know, I know just about when the magic is going to happen. And sometimes when I'm working with folks, they'll come back to me and they'll say, hey, the magic happened. And I'll say, tell me about that. You know, so um, that's when it becomes spiritual entrepreneurship rather than social entrepreneurship or more traditional business entrepreneurship.
1: And the magic looks different in each place, doesn't it? It's just a little, little different. Absolutely.
0: It is so contextual, you know, it has to do with, you know, so many of the churches that we both work with, um, are not victims, but places that experienced white flight Mm -hmm. in the seventies, in the eighties. And so folks are still coming in on the weekend to their home church but their home place is miles away. And so the literal neighborhood has changed in such a way that the folks that are still serving the church may or may not be familiar with in relationship with the literal neighbors. And so um, that context can look completely different than a suburban church, than a, a downtown church. Um, so it's all about context, and I mean, I come in with very few assumptions. I come in with some hunches, but you know, I I, I say I'm probably the only consultant in the world that starts off with I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's just I don't know. We're going to yes. find out because I feel like if I'm coming in with you know we're going to do this and this and this and this, then I'm not doing my job because the first thing we've got to do is help folks um, begin to connect with the neighborhood in in ways that they, they they may have done it in the past, but they may have just lost touch with it.
1: You know, co-working seems to be a common denominator in a lot of your projects. As you're thinking about repurposing space, often that comes up and it's even a part of the name of your business. Why did co-working get to be such a centerpiece of what you do?
0: Well, it's funny. It's what I was doing when I had the idea to do it in church. Well, there's a good, uh,
1: well, there's a good answer for that, right? Right,
0: exactly. So, um, I mean, I was working for a faith-based nonprofit that was doing the missional wisdom foundation that was doing some interesting, unique things, usually repurposing a parsonage, um, to have a house of neo-monasticism. So a group of seminary students were serving the church, connecting with the neighborhood, all those sorts of things. But, um, this was, you know, this was, early days in remote work we were all over the country I was working by myself and somebody told me that there was this co-working space created by a couple of pastors in downtown Dallas and I should go check that out because I was lonely I mean I'm an extrovert I gotta have people gotta have people time and so um sure enough I became a member a founding member of the Grove in downtown Dallas and uh what I found was I really just kind of found my home there. Uh, the co-working movement has been around for about 15 years. And this is way pre-WeWork and all the big brand name corporate co-working that you see in your towns now. Um, but you know, the values of co-working are collaboration, openness, sustainability, accessibility, community building diversity and inclusion. And I mean, if that's not what we're about in the church, it damn well ought to be.
1: Can a church compete with WeWork?
0: Uh, we don't really talk about competition in the co-working movement. We talk about collaboration. Hmm. So WeWork in a church would be the two kinds of entities that we would get together in a room, get to know each other. What do your folks need? What do your folks need? What do your resources have? That kind of thing. And we would just begin to collaborate from the beginning. There's no competition. I mean, there's just plenty to go around. There's just no reason to look at it that way.
1: Yeah. I, I just wonder if the corporate places might be in some cases a little at a little bit of disadvantage in terms of the possibilities of community creation in their spaces. I mean they can give you a place to get away from your spouse if you're if you're officing at home so that you have several hours a month in a, another place working. But it would seem to me that that a church might have even broader possibilities in terms of what fun we could create with people who are working in our spaces. But,
0: but I would caution you, Paul, because we know that there are plenty of people that are not going to darken the door of a church for a whole lot of reasons. You know, a queer person like me is someone that might have been harmed by the church, may have some trepidation about how they're going to be welcomed in a church. I mean, not for nothing do do people feel some kind of way Mm -hmm. about engaging in a church, whereas co-working spaces. I mean, we're all just here to to get our stuff done and support one another and it just you know there's no ulterior motive nobody's trying to rack up numbers on a on a their dashboard you know nothing like that you pay your money you you pay for your membership you engage as much as you want you you stay by yourself as much as you want so everyone is creating community whether it's corporate co-working or independent co-working or social entrepreneurship co-working Um, or church community on their own terms based on the needs of the community members that they're bringing together. So again, it's not about collaboration. We're able to do some things in some church spaces just because we have a lot of room. You know, I say that there was... um, an opportunity at first United Methodist church of Plano to be a commissary for food trucks. Why? Cause we got so much parking, right? I mean, mm. there's plenty of commercial uh, kitchens out there for people to rent, but not very many of them have a place where you can park your 52 foot food truck. Well, we got parking lots for days, you know? Mm. So just some of those kinds of things where we can get creative again with the resources that we have to share.
1: So you're, getting known for repurposing space and helping churches to be better stewards of space. But it sounds like that's not the bottom line for you. The bottom line sounds to be more about helping to create community. Is that right?
0: Sure. Well, I mean, here's a good example. Um, I think, you know, you may, you may be aware of this one church where uh, they took a, a piece of the land and converted it to a dog park, for example. Okay. And that happened way before I came along. But um, but that what what that indicated to me was that this was a church that was open to doing some unique things. So that's cool. You know, at some point there was a committee somewhere that did a cool thing at this church. Great. So I get there and I'm beginning to assess the place and the vibe and what's going on. And of course, I go out to the dog park to meet the dog people mm-hmm. And because every day. I mean, that church was dead empty all week long, but that dog park was hopping there were just people coming and going all day long. So I go out there to introduce myself. And at one point, this fella said, hey, can you watch my dog for me? I need to go to the restroom. I'm like, sure, <laughs> of course. You know, fine. Well, he took off the wrong direction. I was mean, like, the church was back there and he took off that way. And I saw him crawl through a crack in the fence. And I was so confused. And, and after a while, he comes back. I was like, what was that about? He goes, Oh yeah. One of the dog park guys who lives right there leaves his back door unlocked so that we can all use the bathroom. I was like, what are you talking about? Why aren't you using the church? He said, Oh, the church doesn't let us use the bathrooms. And I, after I caught my breath, I said, well, that ends today, you know? And I, <laughs> I was like, you have got to be kidding me. So, so do you hear what I'm saying with that? Yes. There was the vision to do something unique, but somewhere along the line, the purpose of what we're doing to serve humans, even for their most basic needs, kind of fell off the priority list, you know? And then they were wondering, like, why don't those people, of course, they just want to know why those people weren't come to church on Sunday. I'm like, well, let's see. You know, <laughs> we aren't exactly offering them top-notch hospitality if we... Anyway, so that would be an example of how, yes, we can do a new thing in a space, but where are we coming in with just that lavish, over-the-top graciousness and hospitality of meeting people where they are and what they need and just being so happy to see them? You know, I mean, it was just a crazy story, but yeah, we took care of that that day. (laughs)
1: So if it, if it were not for the fact that you'd like to go to Ikea kinds of places to um, buy furnishings, are, are you the kind of person that would be hanging out at Ikea anyway? Or is that not necessarily your favorite hangout?
0: No, I love me some Ikea. I, I do like <laughs> a Swedish meatball from, from time to time. No, but, you know, so it, like the first two spaces I did or that, you know, mid-century modern architecture that, you um, that, you know, Ikea just lends itself nicely and it's, and it's inexpensive. And if you know how, which kinds of pieces to buy to, to set a space, then, you know, it's a great option. Um, however, I often say, you know, you want to start co-working and you're, or repurposing a space to open the doors. You have everything you need to start today. You've got chairs and tables and chairs and tables and probably a few dozen pianos. Always lots of pianos and uh, coffee and someone to open the door and decent, maybe some decent Wi-Fi, you know, and uh, so it does not have to be this capital campaign, you know, tearing down walls and bringing in gorgeous furniture and all this kind of stuff. That's not what it's about, mainly because you don't know what your community needs yet, you know. Maybe everybody wants standing desks. Maybe everybody wants lounge chairs. Maybe you know, I mean, there's just all different things. But to to utilize the resources that the building already has is really important to repurpose. I mean, that's a sustainability thing. I mean, that's a big part of what I do. Is that you know we're just sitting here on all this square footage with all this fluorescent lighting, and, you know, just not putting it to work. It's just not using what we have, and that's just a waste of. Of creation,
1: you know. So, so when you start work, when you start working with a church, and you mm-hmm. and you walk through and you see some of the possibilities of their facility, and you've had some experience at other places, and you're thinking, hmm, we could do this, this, or this, and here, and this, and there, and this, so forth. But you don't know the community yet. How does the community teach that church what some of their priorities or what some of the best ideas might be as the um, the magic sort of unfolds for them in a different way than it might for the church? across town
0: well uh my dear mentor uh, elaine heath the reverend dr elaine heath uh talks about and it's basic abcd asset-based community development okay. that you are out there assessing what what does this community have to offer so you're starting internally you're going but once you're moving into the neighborhood you're looking for what elaine calls persons of peace so these are, I call them gadflies. They're just the people that are up in everybody's business. It knows everybody b- lived in that house for 72 years, whatever it is, makes the best tamales, make, knows how to fix everybody's car, you know, whatever it is, just kind of knows what's going on. And you begin to engage with folks like that to say, what, what's going on here? So I can tell the story of a um, a wonderful gadfly in the neighborhood of White Rock UMC named Betsy Doan, who was a dance teacher and a a sculptor and an artist and just this crazy woman that I mean in the best possible way. So I just invited her I'm like, Betsy, what would you do with this place? I mean, what do you, what are some ideas? What do you dream of? What do you need? You know? And she said, oh, And of course, she had a million ideas right off the bat. She goes, yes, this is what we need. I could teach stretch classes here. I've been looking for a place to do that. And I know so-and-so that needs this. And, you know, we just really need a place for everybody to come together and get to know each other and just support one another. And I'm thinking, yeah, you never really think of church for that, do you? But, (laughs) you know, and I mean, she's lived literally a block away from this church for 30 years. But it's never she's never been invited on her terms not mm-hmm. on the church's terms, but on her terms, what do you need? What would you do with this space? How would you animate it? How could it serve your dreams and goals for your life and your neighborhood? So, you know, that's, that's pretty typical. And then the ABCD part, there are people who are really good at that, you know, the community organizers. And so you just begin, I can't tell you how many conversations I have that start off with, Hey Paul, I'm gonna tell you this thing apropos of nothing. I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but just put it in put it in your brain hole. <laughs> let me know when it comes around, and then I'll say whatever it is. You know, we're we're thinking about, we've got this big kitchen. We're thinking about putting it to work and maybe putting it out there for um, a rent by the hour. So I'm just letting you know that, and I will be damned <laughs> if. Two and a half weeks later, somebody is calling me saying, hey, Paul Nixon told me that blah, blah, blah. Well, I've been thinking about starting a catering company, you know, and that's what I call. Then the magic happens. So you're just constantly putting it out there, putting it out there, putting it out there. And you don't have to know you really don't because the Holy Spirit's doing her thing. She's just looking for that in. And and honestly, if you do try to overprogram it, then you're not making room for her. You know, you're just saying, we got it all figured out. Like, no, you don't. If you had it all figured out, you wouldn't have all this empty space. You'd be, your, your budget would be in great shape. You know?
1: Darren, one of the things I'm curious about as well, if, if, you, if we can go there for a sec, is the, how, what, what experience do you have in terms of recovery groups and so forth that meet in our facilities, um, getting more connected with the larger community and not just being siloed?
0: Right. And, you know, recovery groups are something that is a very common um, activity that happens during the week at, at churches. And, you know, one of the things we're always looking for is what's already going on here. You know, we don't have to invent everything. There are some things that are already going well, you know, show up, see what God's up to help out is kind of kind of the ethos of it. And, and recovery groups will be one of those. And at uh, Central Christian Church in Dallas. Um, Whenever you would drive by this, this old, old, you know, this beautiful old church in a very, very wealthy part of Dallas, Texas, um, it's just empty. You know, the big, huge parking lot, just completely empty. And I had started working there. And one Wednesday, I looked outside and the parking lot was full. I mean, full. And I thought, what in the world is going on? And I didn't see anybody in the building. I didn't know what was going on. So I asked, I said, what, what's going on? Thought, oh, it's the recovery group. Like Oh, OK. It happened to be a recovery group for gay men in recovery from crystal meth. I mean, it was a very specific recovery oh, group. Wow. And um, and then I looked out that afternoon. Yeah, I kind of forgot about it. looked out that afternoon and they were they were all gone. The parking lot was empty again. So the next week I said to our intern, it was uh, I said, let's go. You know, they come every week. Like so, Yeah, they they rent a room from us once a week. Every Wednesday at noon, so let's go up there and check it out. So we went into the room, and sure enough, it, the, all the blinds were closed. the uh, The chairs were mismatched. There were broken chairs in there. There was a dusty old silk flower arrangement. There were some <laughs> Bible verse posters on the wall from "Wait for It," Leviticus. You know, I was like, "Let's spruce this place up." So, you know, we cleaned it up, we made all the chairs match, we pulled out all the broken ones, I took down the Leviticus posters, put some Brene Brown on the whiteboard, um, and put some ice water and glasses in the middle of the room. And then Mm -hmm. I said to the intern, I said, I said, come on, we went back downstairs, we opened the door, and we stood there, and we said hello. (laughs) We said, hi, guys, come on in. We're really glad you're here. Your room is at the top of the stairs. We put a sign there to make sure you can find it. Have a great meeting. We're so glad. Hello. And then 55 minutes later, we went back down the stairs and we said, bye, guys. So glad you came. We'll see you next week. We were really glad you're here. And we heard, and my name's Darren. And, oh, my name's Todd. You know, respecting anonymity. But um, so from that time to this, that recovery group grew from one day a week to five days a week. During COVID, they held meetings for folks at 11 o'clock at night because that's what their recovery community needed. Mm -hmm. They became the go-to guys for anything we needed in the community, put this piece of of furniture together. You know, they became co-working members. They were just around all the time. The potluck lunches, the everything, you know, we, we knew names, we knew faces. They were in the dog park. They were they were just everywhere. And I will say, the single largest financial gift that was ever given in the history of that church came out of that recovery group. Wow! Now, where did that come from? I mean, it, it literally. I call that story ice water and a smile. All it we just showed that we cared, that we loved them, that we wanted to connect with them, that we wanted to make sure. I just wanted them to have a nice, clean place with some fresh air. You know. And the, this work is small and transformational. This work is huge and transformational and everywhere in between. And that is why I do the work that I do, because that's, I think that's kind of why we're here.
1: You know, in that recovery room, church was happening there, but the church also decided to dance with the church that was happening there and, and more church happened, more good church happened. And, um, you know, there are so many ways in which with groups that are using our buildings, there's beautiful, talented, um, high capacity people with lots of love in their hearts coming near to us and we're just ignoring them and making them sit on haphazard chairs in a dingy Sunday school room that needs some extra light bulbs, you know? Wow, that's a great story. And I think it just reminds us of the possibilities of community building that are just right there before us. And it, it, it didn't take a lot of work for you to say hello and to be kind and to provide just a sense of hospitality. So there are times when beautiful community forms and lots of good things happen that where there is marginal to no impact in terms of what's going on in terms of the Sunday ministries. There are other places where there begins to be interplay and there begins to be synergy and people get curious and um, the the Sunday ministries actually begin to thrive in ways they haven't. A lot of places you go in have lost 80% of their people. That's kind of standard these days. And um, sometimes that doesn't change, but sometimes it does. What would you say for the churches? who are hosting this beautiful thing, which is, has value on its own, on its own. But in some cases where the, 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 there's sort of an overflow of energy back into the church. What would you say are some of the reasons why some churches get a little kickback? I don't know, in terms of all of this good energy that's going on in this space.
0: Yeah. You know, I, <clears throat> I always say my work is not about putting butts in seats on Sunday morning. It's just mm-hmm. not, you mm-hmm. know, um, th- that's wonderful work. It's just not my work, mm-hmm. you know. And having said that, it happens. It happens organically, and it happens um, in very incremental, small, gorgeous, transformational ways. So, an example would be um, a coworker who is there. Uh, she's a she's a writer, and she comes in a few days a week. And um, gotten to know her, and doing a little bit of social media work for us. And out of the blue, she comes and she's, um, she'd been crying. And she said, um, Darren, do you think it would be okay if I talked to uh, one of the pastors here? Yeah. I just, I just lost my uncle and he was the only person in my family that shared my faith. And that was kind of our connection together. And he was kind of the only person I could talk to about that. And, and he just died and I, I'm just really sad. And I, and I said, Absolutely. And the beauty was she knew them. She knew the pastors, you know, they were around and, um, but she still felt like she needed to have permission almost around that for whatever reason. And, um, and that was, that was beautiful. And it was transformative and it was lovely. And I don't know whatever came up with it. I don't care. (laughs) That was, I mean, for that afternoon, those guys got to pastor in a really special way. Um, Then you have the opportunities where the life events come up. So that would be an example of a life event, Mm -hmm. a death in the family, a divorce, a marriage, a baptism, whatever, where these kinds of things come up for a young couple. They're like, I think we're supposed to get our kid baptized, but I don't even know what that means. Well, all of a sudden they have a relationship with Mitchell Boone at White Rock UNC, with Ken Crawford at the Central Christian Church, And, and they have that relationship that is authentic and can happen on their terms, you know, Kent Crawford is not going to, to throw all of Christendom at this young couple, you know, it's just going to meet them where they are, you know, what is it that that is making you ask these questions, and, you know, kind of leading them through that, again, then my part of it's out. <laughs> You know, I'm just there to hold space and to say, you know, absolutely. Now, do I personally and all community managers who do what we do, do our share of past pastoring? I am so woefully underprepared for the amount of pastoral care I do. Mm. It's, but as again, my, Ken, my, my friend Ken always reminds me, we're all ministers, just some of us are ordained.
1: Mm. Indeed. So I
0: do the best I can. But then we know at the point where it's like, hmm, I'm going to kick this upstairs. I'm going to, this is getting into some area, which you would also do with a mental health professional or anything like that. But I'm telling you, Paul, that that is the kind of interaction that we're having with people all week long. And I say it's the kind of authentic relationship that you just can't have after Sunday service with a donut in one hand and a styrofoam cup of coffee in the other. You just can't. You know, you're having that day to day like you have with folks that you work with. The beauty of it is you're all working on your own thing. You don't you don't hate the same people. (laughs) You don't have the same problems. So you're there for each other in kind of a different way. But, you know, when somebody walks through the door and something's going on and you see it on their face. I mean, that is the kind of pastoral and ministerial relationship that the young clergy I know that are trying to find a way to respond to their call in this sort of corporate church atmosphere where they found themselves, that is what is really life-giving to them. And so that's why I think this work could be you know, so natural for bivocationality, for, in the United Methodist Church, deacons that are looking for opportunities to live out their call, to smaller churches in suburban and rural communities who can't afford a full-time uh, appointment. You know, they've got folks doing a quarter-time appointment at multiple places. You know, this is the kind of work that can really, you know, have somewhat of a revenue stream to support that, uh, that appointment and, you um, and that kind of
1: thing. So. Several years ago, like 20 years ago, um, I was a pastor of a church <clears throat> that built a community center and a new zip code and we moved out there. So it functioned like, like a new church and um, we built relationships. And there was sort of a natural, because we really were designing ministry all the time, new ministries. We really were designing for people in the neighborhood rather than for the people that were already there. So there was just a natural overflow. But then this, this crazy thing called 9-11 happened, and we had this wave of people. i wondered where did these people come from? And what it was, was all these folks had been learning that this was a safe and loving, no pressure kind of space all of this time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, but boom, 9-11 happened for everybody. And they all just kind of came in. We And we re- re- retained a, a kind of a new level of relationship with a lot of those people. But I observed after that, that 9-11 is happening for somebody almost every day. It just didn't, it just happened for everybody that day. But there's always some kind of crisis that's going on when people are needing in their own journey, they're needing to explore, they're needing to ask questions, they're needing something. And if a church has relationships as those kinds of tender moments happen for people, um, people will will check out the ministries of the church. Um, it just seems to me that creating a hub of community is really at the heart of what the church can do, what we should be doing, and that's and that's what you're doing. So that the church really becomes a village church that's working in a context of a lot of a lot of people that are in the the, the sort of village, you know, are in and around that church. And are, and, and are in community in the village, not necessarily in the church, but they're in, there is a sort of a, a sense of this village.
0: So, Paul, you know, when you talk about 9-11, the first thing that came up to me was that we are having a similar experience to that right now, and it's coming out on the, oh, we're not even out of it, we're kind of on the other side of COVID, or as we are navigating COVID. Because, um, you know, not only have we had this grand experiment where grand social experiment where everybody went home and we discovered new things about being able to work remotely and how that works and the things that we're able to do using technology and things like that. But also we are, we are just now discovering the great resignation and what it means that people just had the opportunity to pause And this was across so many layers of socioeconomic strata, right? So it's everybody from the barista to the CEO has just been able to take a beat and think about, am I going back to this? Am Mm -hmm. I doing, what am I doing here? I mean, if the church is not being a part of that conversation, we are missing a tremendous opportunity for just relevance. I mean, this is headline breaking. I mean, the, the news doesn't even know how to put language around the great resignation. This is about meaning making and yes. purpose being and all that sort of thing. And so, you know, in terms of where, where the co working movement can meet the church, I mean, I'm just on fire for this. The, the other great crisis during COVID, especially for women in the workplace, was childcare. And childcare just became—it was already a crisis. It, like so many things, COVID revealed things, didn't, it, and brought them to the surface. The childcare crisis being a big one. Well, guess who has been in the business of welcoming any and all children every Sunday since the beginning of time? Churches, and guess where they are—in your neighborhood, in your rural areas, in the suburbs. So where can we step into that gap and into that breach? You want to talk about a way of serving our neighbors in this time of crisis? Childcare, I mean, it's just right there. It's something that needs to be collaborative. In the co-working movement, folks have tried to do um, the business model of childcare and co-working has been tried and tried and tried. It's an extremely difficult business model to pull off, but again. Churches already have it. We've got the insurance. We've got the staff. We've got the toys. We've got the little tiny potties. We have all the things. And so if we get those parents together and say, what do you need? You know, you can even you got local ordinances apply, of course. But if folks are coming in and saying, you know, I just need somebody two afternoons a week. well, We've been doing mommy's day out forever. Like we know how to do that. And it's free, but it could be low cost, no cost. What can it be? So you start to collaborate together to say, all right, we can have our ratios can be lower of caregiver to child if the person is staying on campus to do their work. So you got co-working over here. I mean, and the people taking care of the kiddos could be, you know, four classrooms away, whatever it is. I mean, we've got the space to do that. And it just makes so much sense to me.
1: Well, that's a really a different market of parent um, or an expanded market, or maybe a different way of hitting the same market. Because in the past, I think we assumed that on mommy's day out, she could, could go to target while the kids were there and just have some, just get her shopping done efficiently. Well, now I think a lot of people would say, I'll just wrestle my kid through target. I need to work. Exactly. (laughs) I just need to be able to go on a zoom call and, Mm -hmm. and work in a professional way without this little person coming in and stopping me in the middle of that right and, and there is a huge shortage of capacity right now and at least affordable capacity for people to get that especially in small time chunks but you could work that into a co-working situation you have Absolutely. the facilities already there all freshened up for sunday ready to go that's
0: right you know it's just such a natural to me and my you know i i, I bang this drum in with the co-working movement all the time but honestly until the men get behind it and I tried to tried to approach it from the, the business perspective. I was like, guys, if you want people to all these parents to come back into your space, you've got to help them solve for child care. I mean, this was early on before kiddos were going back to school and, um, you know, kiddos didn't have adequate Wi-Fi at home. I mean, we know that teachers and kids were sitting in cars in the parking lots of A Walmart. Burger?
1: Yeah. To get the Wi-Fi. Yeah.
0: Why, why the hell weren't we opening the doors of our churches? Or I will say in some churches, the Wi-Fi wasn't sufficient. So that was the time at which we got a bump of the Wi-Fi to be able to accommodate and to bring in, um, we would call them proctors and to do some, some micro schools. And so then a, a college student would be a proctor that would uh, help the micro school, you know, with their, with their lessons and things like that. So, I mean, a lot of that was going on. So, I mean, when you said 9-11 and, and what happened in the, in the aftermath of that, we don't even know what this is going to look like, but this—if church, churches need to do more than just like, hey, are we wearing masks or not wearing masks? Okay, we got bigger fish to fry, y'all. You know.
1: Let's imagine that a church is blessed, in some cases, blessed to not have this 125,000 square foot aging albatross but they want to have a facility, so they're a church with no space, or maybe they're a wise church that's willing to trade to a more practical space. Mm-hmm. If you were starting from scratch and not repurposing, what would be some things you would be thinking about as a church looked for space that could be more than just simply Sunday space, but that could be truly community-nurturing um, space? What would be some things you'd want them to maybe keep an eye on as they space shop?
0: Yeah, um, definitely something with some indoor-outdoor opportunity. So I, I think about, um, I, I live in Rowlett, Texas, which is okay. a suburb of Dallas. And um, I'm, I'll just describe, this is, this is the perfect ideal place that I would describe. So um, it's on a dart line, a, a light rail station, mm-hmm. uh, right on it. Um, it has the public library. It has a really nice little park that they animate from time to time. They'll bring in a food truck. They'll have a movie. They'll have lunch on the lawn that the city is a part of. Um, they have, there's a coffee house. There is a great little cafe, very small. Um, there is some high-density housing in the area. There's probably four churches on that block down the way. Um, there's a dog park nearby walking distance but what what you should be hearing me say is there's animation there are people coming down to that area for all kinds of reasons there's a brewery there's uh, a Mexican food place (laughs) I mean there's but it's all little mom and pop there's some boutiques and things like that but it's very community oriented you know it's not they're not a target there's not a uh, there's no big box retailers Mm -hmm. it's it's and actually the um the Chamber of Commerce is there. The uh, the City Hall is there. So it's all these little places where people are coming together for all kinds of reasons. I want to be up in the big middle of every bit of that. Mm. That is what I would be
1: looking for. And in terms of the kind of space that you would would be wanting to create, I would imagine flexibility and multi purpose is important.
0: It, I, I laughed when you when you said flexibility. I am notorious for the fact that if I'm going to put anything in a room, it's going to be on wheels. Okay. I put everything on wheels because I never know what I want the space to be. It's got to be so multi purpose and flexible. And so things are just on wheels. They wheel in and out. And um you know, and that, that's a big part of bringing the church on board too, is to say, no, we're not taking anything from you. We're sharing the space. So if it's a big fellowship hall where you've always had your chili cook-off or you've always had your wedding receptions, well, no, we're not going to just fill it with a big bunch of heavy oak desks and you can't ever have those things again. Absolutely not. Everything's going to be lightweight and on wheels back to Ikea <laughs> and, uh, so that with um, three hours notice, we can completely clear the space out and bring in some six foot tables with red table, you know, red checkered tablecloths on them and chili cook off. It is, you know, so uh, so absolutely multipurpose. And um, it's, that's just so important for this work.
1: The, I recall um, a church in the DFW area where I was helping them with um, building design of a new campus. And the thing, the the point where we got crossways, or we really got, there was a debate, was I was encouraging them not to have a large square footage dedicated to become the capital Y youth room. (laughs) All right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because they had a gymnasium over here. They had a lot of creative space. They had a, a coffee area. It's like why can't all of this be the youth room? Why do we have to have this space that is like owned and possessed and then we can't use it for other things? And they said, well, if, if it's not designated just for the youth, they feel like they don't have a place. I said, well, I'm not I'm not sure that the youth of today necessarily feel the way that you're articulating. I think we may be articulating things from like when we were youth. Um, what does it mean to have a sense that this is a home for me? Does it mean I have to have a space that has my name on it and only I can use it? I don't think there's many young people that are asking that of the church. That seems like a very old paradigm. Do you, have, do you run into places where people say this can only be the choir suite? Nothing else can happen here. The youth Oh, room. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, we, I call it siloing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's a common term. But it, it makes I laughed out loud when you said the youth room, because the other piece is we go out of our way to make those youth spaces fun and colorful and all this artwork on the wall and crazy colors and great furniture. And for the youth, i like, don't adults need color and it sounds sounds fun to me
1: i I want to go i want
0: to be in there that sounds much better you know and so but but the way we silo so yes parlors you know choir spaces the the least used place in the world and i'm kind of glad about it i want to make every little prayer closet goes into that. Nobody wants to go into this little closeted room to say their prayers and they just they don't get used <laughs> at all, but they make really great podcasting booths. So, wow. yay. And uh but yes, it, the siloing is just what it's it, it's just what creates walls, misunderstandings, um resentments, things like that between different areas of the church and it just it doesn't make any sense. And it's non collaborative. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm not about it. So I, I would have been with you on that one.
1: How can we learn more about your work? Get a hold of you and explore some of this in terms of our particular challenges? and Yeah. Situation?
0: You can go to my website at tablecoworking.com or you can uh, be a part of my online community, which is at bigtable.network. And also every Friday um, in, in keeping with the way I do things, I have a virtual potluck lunch. And so it's oh, every Friday. Fun. Yes. It's every Friday at noon central time. And you can learn more about that at either of those places that I just gave you. And then uh, coming up in the new year, I'm really looking forward to offering an introductory kind of course um, on what I call my four table legs, which are inspiration, imagination, improvisation and what's my fourth one? innovation and so I kind of talk up through those those four table legs uh, to say that you know how would my church begin to explore this kind of work begin to engage folks who might be interested in this kind of work
1: and we can find out about that on the website too I'm well
0: just as soon as I get it up there you will
1: okay <laughs> okay well the potluck sounds fun is that free
0: yeah that's yeah. just you know I, I Paul I know that as a consultant you have you get this question all the time can I pick your brain you get that question a lot yeah we, i get yes. that question a lot and so i decided yes everybody can pick my brain for 1 hour on friday at this potluck lunch and really i did it because so many people have the same questions and so uh you know we can do it together you get a lot of that group dynamic where people think oh i didn't think of that question and so Um, It really kind of fleshes out what they're looking to explore. And it's fun.
1: What a great idea. Darren, I love this. It's great to spend time with you today. Um, And I hope that um, our listeners have gotten some interesting ideas and that this has piqued their curiosity about the possibilities that these old um, $125,000 warehouses that we take care of could actually do a lot more than what they're currently doing to help us with our gospel work.
0: I certainly hope so, Paul. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak with your listeners today. And I really look forward to connecting with anyone who'd like to learn more about it.
1: All right. Friends, um, this is Field Preachers Podcast, and we are glad that you're with us today. This is a ministry of the United Methodist Church. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.